Studying the book of Colossians, and if, you rem- if you've been with us, we've been encouraged uh, to fill up on God and to place our hope in the gospel, remembering that the church in Colossae, or Colossae, I've heard it pronounced both ways, so potato, potato, whatever you want to do with that, Colossae is right in the midst of this huge Roman Empire, and the roads of the empire, remember, allowed the world to be a melting pot of cultures and belief. And so just like in our day, false teaching is pressing upon the church. And much of the false teaching that's taking place in Colossae had to do with the minimizing of Jesus. Who is Jesus? That was the central question then, and that's the central question now. And so I'm wondering if you were to go out on the street and just ask people that you came across, who is Jesus, what would they say? I think you might get some different answers on that. And so uh, here's a video sample of someone who did this, um, went out on the street and asked that question. And I need to tell you that some of the answers are biblical, they're correct, And some of the answers are not. But let's listen to how people respond to this question of who is Jesus. Here's the million dollar question. Okay? This is your opinion. Who is Jesus? See, now now you won't start trouble. It's a myth created by man in order to control society. I don't... I don't consider Jesus my savior or my spiritual leader. He is a spiritual leader and one of the spiritual leaders I learned from. Who is Jesus in your opinion? Who was he? Who was he? Who was he? He was a man. He was a man, okay. Absolutely. Jesus is, my opinion, he's everything around here. He's spiritual, everything, earth, water, fire, everything. Jesus is all that's good, all the things that are positive and affirmative in life. Uh, that's Jesus. I believe he's a higher power in the form of a man. Everyone else walking around, there's not another Jesus. There's just one. So, yeah, I believe he definitely did something. Yeah, uh, like on, Jesus like, is not a person. He's not a person, okay? Okay. So do you believe he was a man or just like some higher power or? No, I don't believe in. Don't believe he even no. existed? No. Okay. No. Jesus is um, our savior. Jesus is everything. He's the reason why we live. He's the reason why um, we get to do the things that we do in life. He's my heart, and he's what I speak through my poetry, through my work, through my everyday life. That's Jesus. So lots of conflicting beliefs and worldviews out there about Jesus. All of those things cannot be true at the same time. And And this was the case in Colossae as well, that the false teachers were minimizing Jesus. Um, There were many people who thought that Jesus was important, but not essential. They had given him a place in their lives without recognizing that he demands first place. And so Jesus was prominent to them, but certainly not supreme or preeminent, uh, the word I've just rediscovered this week, preeminent, meaning superior or surpassing all others. So in the middle of chapter 1, 
Paul tackles this problem and he responds to at least three misconceptions that are out there. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time telling you about the false teaching this morning, but let me just summarize it so that you understand the context that Paul is speaking into. Uh, The false teachers of Paul's day taught that God did not create the world because in their minds matter was evil and God cannot create evil. And so believing that matter was evil, they argued that God would not have come uh, in the form of a human, in bodily form anyway, and they didn't believe that Jesus was the unique Son of God, but rather he was one of many intermediaries between God and people. So Paul writes about who Jesus is, and we're going to look at that this morning. But I want you to know that the application of this passage is not just to people with wrong ideas about God. I believe the application is for all of us here this morning because all of us, in some way, minimize Jesus. We do. We either do that in what we believe about him or... If we have the correct belief about him, we minimize his sovereignty or his reign in our lives. And so, as we study Colossians 1 this morning, um, it's hard to even begin to try to unpack uh, the incredible beauty and the wonder in this passage. But I'm going to do my best with limited time and limited skill to give an overview because In Jesus, we have God's complete and perfect revelation, fully revealed. And so this is important. And if you look at the passage this morning, it breaks down into two sections. Uh, In Colossians 1, the last part of verse 18, providing the overriding theme, which says, So that in everything, he, Christ, might have the supremacy. So, he is supreme over creation, verses 15 through 17, and he is supreme over his new creation, verses 18 through 23. Uh, Another way to say that is that he has first place over both the cosmos and the church. That he's Lord of everything that he's made, and he's Lord of everyone he has saved. And so let's read that in its entirety, and then we'll focus in this morning on verses 15 through 17, which tells us that Jesus is Lord or supreme over creation. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The heading there is the supremacy of Christ. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... 
He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's reread verses 15 through 17, which is what we want to focus on this morning. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow. It's quite a statement. Jesus cannot be minimized. He should not be minimized. Paul is saying he is supreme both over nature and in our lives. So I think the question that runs through this text is why is Jesus supreme? We see at least four truths here in verses 15 through 17. First of all, we see he is God. Many in Paul's day and in our day will try to tell you, and we saw that in the video, that Jesus was just a man. Great man, but just a man. Paul, however, doesn't mince any words here. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, images convey meaning way beyond what words can describe. And some examples um, are wedding bands, uh, for example, represent the fact that someone has made a commitment of love and faithfulness to us. Uh, when we see the Statue of Liberty... Um, I think something unexplainable takes place deep inside of us often. And I think the same can be said for the American flag. And and these are powerful symbols. And, And as powerful as they are, they are simply representations of far deeper realities. You know, I mean, for example, my ring doesn't make me married. Rather, it's a symbol that I am married. And the Statue of Liberty doesn't in and of itself do anything, but it stands for a nation that honors freedom. And the American flag is a powerful national symbol, but it, o- it only represents what the country is about. And so, listen carefully. Jesus is not just a symbol of God. He is God himself, because the word image in this verse in Greek refers to likeness, manifestation, or replica. And so in the culture of Paul's day, image was a die or a stamp that was able to make exact reproductions. And so Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He's the precise copy because he is God himself. In other words, he both represents and manifests God to the world. We see this throughout Scripture. John 1.18 says that, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. In John 14, 9, Jesus revealed this about himself. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 also refers to Christ as the image of God. And so uh, someone has said that Jesus is God with skin on. And I think that's a pretty good word picture. So 
Don't let anyone tell you that Jesus was just a man. Don't let Jesus be minimized in that way. Because a man does not heal lepers as Jesus did in Luke 22. A man doesn't tell a storm to be quiet or, and the storm obeys him as in Luke chapter 8. Uh, a man doesn't have power to drive out demons like Jesus does in Mark 5. A man doesn't raise a dead man like Lazarus from the grave like Jesus does in John 11. All these things are only possible if Jesus is God. And Paul says Jesus is supreme over nature because he is God. And that's affirmed here in Colossians 1.15. Second, he is the unique Son of God. And so Jesus is not only God, he is the firstborn over all creation, it says. Now, people like the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, believe that this verse teaches that Jesus was a created being, and so they therefore say he's not God. But if you study it, that's a faulty translation. Because actually the phrase firstborn is most frequently translated as heir or owner. And in ancient times it meant the ranking one or the supreme one. And so this term is used of Jesus because he has authority and power and status as the firstborn in biblical times would have. Just one support for that, strongly supported by Psalm 89.27, where we read that God appointed King David as his firstborn, even though David was the youngest of eight brothers. And so Psalm 89.27 concludes by saying that David will be the most exalted of the kings of the earth. And so firstborn, therefore, is a title of honor or position. It's not about chronological order, as we typically think. So Jesus was fully God, and he was fully man. He was the perfect sinless man, like none others, supreme over nature. Now... If a non-Christian came up to you and he, he or she asked you to tell them about Jesus, tell me the story of Jesus, where would you start that story? How would you begin to tell them the gospel story? Well, often I think we start by talking about what Jesus did on the cross for us to pay the price for our sin. And that, that's very important. That's a key piece. That's definitely got to be part of the story. But why should the story begin with us? Shouldn't it begin before us? He said, let there be light. And there was light. He said, let there be an expanse between the waters. And there was sky. He said, let dry ground appear. And there was land. He said, let the land produce vegetation. Let there be lights in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let the water be filled with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth. And it was so. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He gives orders to the morning, shows dawn its place, brings forth constellations in their seasons. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain. 
brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He made the earth by his power, the world by his wisdom, laid its foundations, marked off its dimensions, and fixed limits for the waves. Said this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. When he thunders, the waters and the heavens roar. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Nothing is too hard for him. The heavens declare his glory. The sky proclaims his handiwork. He is Lord over nature. And so Jesus has been supreme since the beginning of time because he's God, because he's the unique Son of God. And thirdly, he's supreme because he's the creator of all things. Jesus is the image of God and the exalted one over all creation because he is the creator. And so this is where I think we would more appropriately start the story or where the story of Jesus should begin, that he created all things. Lest anyone misunderstand what firstborn means here in verse 16, Paul explains that all things were created in and through and for Christ. It says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And so Jesus is not a mere man. He's the creator of all things. Um, those things that we can see and those things that we can't see. And the context of Colossians 1 declares that Jesus is the sovereign creator. He's not one who was himself created. Because the false teachers taught that the physical world was evil, they thought that God himself could not have created it. And they reasoned from that that if Christ were God, he would be in charge of only the spiritual world. And you see that in our day, too, where Jesus is limited to certain areas. But Paul explains that all the thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers on heaven and earth of both the visible and the invisible world are under the authority of Christ because he created them. And so what Paul is doing here is he's even taking a little shot at Rome. He's saying even this great Roman Empire is under the authority of Christ. So some have tried to minimize Jesus by giving him rule over the spiritual world, but this passage indicates we shouldn't do that. And these four classifications, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, are used elsewhere in Scripture to describe a world of both holy and evil spirit beings. And since the Colossians gave prominence to angels, Paul here quickly puts everything under the rule of Christ. Jesus has no rival. This verse also refutes the false teaching that Christ was one of many intermediaries and that angels were to be worshipped. The highest angelic princes, good and evil, including Satan, are subject to Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Lord of Lords. But notice here in this passage that he's not only the creator but that he provides the purpose for his creation. All things were created by him and for him. So the goal of creation is to glorify Christ, as we were seeing uh, with the kids. Um, And so apply that to your life. The goal of Ron DeBoer is to glorify Christ. The goal of Kendall Weber is to glorify Christ. Now you're all scared, aren't you? 
goal of Bonnie is to glorify Christ. That's our purpose. That's why we were made by Him and for Him. He's supreme and Lord over creation because He's God, the unique Son of God, the Creator of all things. And finally, He holds all things together. This is good news. That in the chaos of our world and in the chaos, seeming chaos in our lives, we remember that it's Jesus who holds everything together. Look at verse 17. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That Jesus existed before everything else, and as He declared about Himself in John 8, 58, before Abraham was born, I am. And so to hold together means to prevent something from falling into complete chaos. Christ is before all things, both in time and rank. And so he's not only the creator of the world, he's the glue that keeps it together. That by him everything came to be, and by him everything continues to be. Some have claimed or tried to claim that God is like a watchmaker. That he makes the watch and he turns the dial and he leaves it to run on its own. That he is somehow distant from his creation. But that's not true. That's not what we read in Scripture. That's not Jesus. He has not left us. This is good news. He is our provider and he is our sustainer. And so... Friends, we don't, we don't have to freak out or become unglued because Jesus is keeping everything from falling apart. That he upholds everything by the word of his power. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I watch the news and I get concerned about the world. Or, or sometimes I get concerned about the church and I, and I think or I pray, Oh, Jesus, I, I can't, I don't know how to hold this together and... And then I come back to the truth of God saying, you're crazy. I didn't make you to hold things together. Jesus says, I hold it together. I do it. This is good news. So remember, there's no crisis in heaven. There's no hand-wringing. He will be exalted among the nations. He is Lord over all. And because of His supremacy over all things... You and I must face a question this morning, and that is, is Jesus supreme in our lives? Is He supreme in our lives? I used to encourage people to make Jesus Lord in their lives. And then I learned that Scripture never actually speaks of anyone making Him Lord, unless you're talking about God Himself in Acts 2.26, which says, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, that He's the Lord of all. But I think John MacArthur hits it on the head when he says, the biblical mandate for both sinners and saints is not to make Christ Lord, but rather to bow to His Lordship. He is ever and always Lord, whether or not anyone acknowledges His Lordship or surrenders to His authority. And so, my friends, it's time for us to make it so in our lives. Perhaps there are some of you here this morning that haven't surrendered yourself to Christ by receiving Him into your life for forgiveness of sins. And if you haven't done that, if you've never done that, 
Scripture this morning says you're alienated from God. It even says you're an enemy of God, that your mind is at war against Him. And so my encouragement is to bow before Him, that this morning you would receive forgiveness of your sins, that He could declare you holy without blemish and free from accusation. Others of you, I know, have already done that, but, but perhaps you're living for yourself. Perhaps you're not living in this recognition of the supremacy of Christ. For some of you, Jesus is prominent in your life, but he's not preeminent. He has a place in your world, but he's not occupying first place. He's not the core. He's not the central driving force of your life. Maybe you've mistakenly thought that you could just add him to your life without bowing before His all-encompassing authority. And so my encouragement this morning is to say it's time to recognize and surrender ourselves completely to Him. Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, I believe, provide a fitting close to our time this morning. Hear the words of Scripture. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see that sooner or later, everyone, everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But let's make it sooner than later. Let's make it now. Let's start living today for the purpose that He's created us for. And that's to give Him glory, to show His glory to the world. Or as our mission statement says, to take his love and message to the world.